And we're back with another episode of the Focus on Agriculture podcast. I'm your host, Preston. And I'm Jason. Jason, today we're going to continue where we left off two weeks ago, talking about some of our local research and things that we're excited about that we're, we get to work on every day in our day-to-day jobs. Yeah, we switched gears a little bit here, and we're, we're definitely going to get back to interviewing some of those great guests as we've been doing, but this is a great opportunity to talk about some of that, you know, we love to talk about the research we're doing because it's so cutting edge in a lot of cases, and I, I think our topic today is, is really exciting. It's something that's basically completely new, at least the, the way we're utilizing this. And so I think it's great. We're going to talk about something that is close to your heart as an entomologist, and that's uh, the newest tool in the battle against corn rootworm. Yeah, so SmartStacks Pro, we had kind of a, a, a soft launch last year. This year, uh, a few growers are going to get to see it in their fields. But it's a product that I've been working on, you know, since... Uh, 2013, 2014, and it continually impresses me, especially in you know some of those high pressure areas where people have those rootworm issues. And just to set up the conversation about rootworm, if you're not aware of what rootworm is, you know, go back and listen to some of our previous episodes. Where we've really talked to several people about rootworm, and, and it, it's often called the billion dollar bug. Which Preston, you've pointed out several times, that's probably not really even accurate anymore. Right. Yeah. So it's a pest that basically is a larva it will chew the roots of corn plants which makes the corn yield go down significantly and then it also makes it hard for farmers to harvest that crop Um, and so the cost of controlling the insect combined with the potential yield loss equates to you know somewhere between one and two billion dollars per year and it's a pest that is broadly adapted across the midwest and is also found in different countries like Europe, where they also produce corn as a commodity crop. Yeah, that's, that's huge. Preston, let's, let's start off here today with talking about what are, uh, we refer to them as plant incorporated protectants. What are these? Plant incorporated protectants are, uh, we call them traits in the industry. So they are products that we've developed different companies. Um, some land grants have also developed some. They're, they're products that, that control insect pests, such as the rootworm. So most of the products in the past have been based off of bacteria proteins. So bacteria that are naturally occurring in the soil that we found these bacteria that cause toxicity to these important insect pests. And we basically were able to insert the part of the genome that creates these toxins from the bacteria into the plant. So the plant, the corn plant now produces the toxin that causes mortality for these insect pests and helps protect our crops. You know, you look back through history, all the way back to Bible times, farmers have been struggling to produce crops. You know, you look at plagues, you look at locusts, um, you know, there's a lot of different pests of, of plants. There's insects, there's disease, there's weeds. Unfortunately, insects often can cause the most rapid damage, uh, the most significant damage. They can make certain, especially, you know, fresh market produce, for instance, once you have insect damage, that crop is now worthless. So insect pests throughout history have been very important and farmers have been battling, you know, these insect pests throughout history and trying to produce food to survive. You look back through history, you know, even as recent as, you know, a hundred years ago, farmers were mixing arsenic with molasses and applying it topically over a field because things like cutworm were, you know, moving in and munching on their crops. And then thus they didn't have anything to feed their family with, and then maybe sell a little extra to provide an income 
stream as a family. So that battle goes way back. And here we are today, and <laughs> we're pretty fortunate to be alive today rather than in the past. So you said uh, molasses with arsenic. That doesn't sound good. <laughs> Definitely not good. So <laughs> there's pictures. You can Google it, and you can find farmers applying this this solution. And it definitely was not good for the farmers, probably wasn't good for the consumers of this product, definitely had health, health risks associated with it. But, but with that being said, it was a cost-benefit analysis. Do you want to starve or do you want to you know, produce a crop that you can survive right. on? So I want to go back. You had mentioned that there's a, this bacteria produces a toxin. And so you know, we're talking about poisons here. You say a toxin, that doesn't sound good. Is that something that is harmful to people? Is it just harmful to insects? Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so that's a great question, Jason. These bacteria toxins are specifically selected to only have a level of mortality towards in whatever specific insect we're, we're um, trying to control. So for instance, you look back at arsenic, it's got mammalian toxicity to everything that touches it. So, you know, it doesn't just kill the insects. It also kills the birds. Probably, you know, it kills, um, it causes damage to humans as well. When you look at traits, some, you know, plant incorporated protectants, the nice thing about them is they're very selective. So instead of a product like arsenic, which kills everything, you can look at a BT protein that just specifically targets the mid gut of the Western or, or, or of the, the rootworm complex. I'm not going to get too deep into the biology of how it works, but basically, you know, it binds with um, the mid gut, which causes the mid gut to open up a hole on this specific insect. And it's only this one specific insect that it controls. So it's very selective, has no effect on humans, no effect on birds, no effect on, you know, even other beneficial insect species. There's also an interesting piece of this conversation, I think, that is sometimes overlooked, but this BT protein that you're talking about, this bacteria actually uh, has been used in production for years and years before the advent of, of you know GMO crops. It's even used in organic production as a pesticide. Yeah, absolutely. So organic farmers apply these exact same BT proteins fully early instead of incorporating them into the plant. The nice thing about incorporating them into the plant is the fact that you have uniform expression of this protein across all the plants. So if you spray it or apply it, you're kind of at the whim of, you know, did it come in contact with the insect, target insect? Was the environment favorable? Did it wash off the next day? And then you lose any efficacy? when you incorporate it into the plant, you have that uniform expression. Thus, you can protect the highest proportion of the plants. And we're also talking about a pest here today that feeds on the roots. Exactly. So if you can express the protein below ground, then you have control. You can't really spray a product below ground. Let's talk just a little bit. I, to me, this topic is really interesting about the history of uh, commercially used plant incorporated protectants. Yeah. So I'm going to specifically talk about below ground plant incorporated protectants, PIPs for short. There are above ground traits that control lepidopteran pests like earworm, European corn borer, products like that. They were first released in the late 90s. Specifically today, we're talking about rootworm. So 2003 was when the first below ground PIP was commercially launched. Uh, and that was Yield Guard rootworm. Monsanto launched that. So we've had rootworm traits out there for a fairly long duration at this point. 
if you can call 2003 a long time ago, it's surprising <laughs> we're 2022 at this point. Well, hey, my math skills aren't that great, but I, that's almost 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Time flies. So yeah, 2003. And then 2006, another company came out with Herculex rootworm, which was a different, it was a, it was a cry protein complex. So two proteins that work together. And then 2009, those proteins were combined into a product called smart stacks. So we had now had two below ground pips per plant, basically for smart stacks plants that controlled rootworm. And then in 2020 was when we first got commercial approval for smart stacks pro. So this is two below ground BT proteins plus a new event, which is what we're going to talk about a lot here, which is this RNAi for SmartStacks Pro. And then there were a few more. There was uh, you know, an eCry3 protein that came out prior, which is commonly referred to as Duracade. Uh, so there were a few other. Uh, Chrome was another one, which is uh, sim- very similar to the Cry3435 protein. Those were very similar proteins. Uh, but this is exciting because this is the first fully unique mode of action to control rootworm and basically since 2006 at this point. It's been a fairly long duration since we've had anything new in the market. So it is something completely new. And before we get into that, I definitely want to talk about that. But you had mentioned that sometimes these multiple traits are stacked into a single plant. And I think there's some benefits of that. And what what is the real reasoning behind putting multiple proteins in there. If one controls it, why why would you have two or three? Another great question, Jason. So it's really for resistance management. When you look at rootworm, whenever I'm giving talks, I talk about if we do have a nuclear holocaust, the rootworms are definitely going to survive because it (laughs) seems like they're able to adapt to just about everything we throw at it. Even crop rotation, you know, back in the nineties, rootworm can only survive on corn roots. Thus the females lay their eggs in corn they changed their behavior so that they were able to lay their eggs in soybeans rather than corn so that they would beat crop rotation. So their potential to overcome challenges is impressive, unfortunately, for farmers. And that's why, you know, companies are always trying to develop new technology and then also trying to pyramid or add multiple modes of action at once so that we have the longest trait durability, uh, if that makes sense. So resistance is delayed when you stack multiple modes of action in one product. Yeah. So, so basically, I mean, just some real simple math here. If, if say one out of a hundred insects is resistant to one of the proteins and one out of a hundred is resistant to the other protein, only one out of 10,000 is going to be resistant to both. And so you're really just exponentially increasing because we're not talking about one in a hundred. We're talking about one in a what million or one in a billion maybe that would be resistant to that protein initially. Absolutely. It's definitely a a numbers game. There's always going to be when we talk about developing resistance, those resistant individuals are naturally occurring in the population. It's just selection pressure for those naturally occurring individuals. And with a rootworm's ability to propagate and reproduce so efficiently and at such high numbers, that's where you get the challenge where they're able to, you know, challenge traits via that selection pressure. So like you said, multiple modes of action, the longer the traits work. So let's talk about SmartStacks Pro. That's what we're here for. Yeah, right. So SmartStacks Pro uses 
I mentioned before smart stacks where we have the two below ground modes of action via BT traits. So this has been available for a while, but we added this new mode of action, RNA-I. The I stands for interference, so RNA interference. It works a little bit different than a cry protein. So instead of causing a hole to form in the, in the mid-gut, basically it silences an essential protein that that beetle needs to survive. And once again, I'm not going to, I need a white, almost need a whiteboard or something to describe it. It's hard in, in audio to, to represent, you know, how this works. So I, I think I'll just leave it at that for now. But so it works a little bit slower than the cry proteins, but it greatly reduces the amount of beetles that emerge. So that's why we kind of kept the smart stacks portion in pro. So you get more of an instant kill with the two below ground BT proteins. And then the RNAi provides the cleanup for, for anything that's left over. So once again, three blow ground modes of action. When you're talking about trait durability, it's a really good play to help make sure we're controlling, you know, these beetles. And I should say too, we're here in 2022, we're definitely seeing a rebound in beetle populations, farmers, you know, from Southern Wisconsin, Northern Illinois, all over Iowa are really, you know, starting to see a lot more beetle pressure these days. So um, this product couldn't have come out at a better time because farmers really need more tools to battle this major yield robber. Preston, when you develop a product like this, uh, talk a little bit about the testing it undergoes. What kind of conditions do you place this product in to really learn how well it works? When we test a product, um, we really try to push it to the max. So most of these trials are located on fields where we have significant pressure. So we find those cornfields that may have maybe laying down flat, may have significant beetle pressure. And we place these trials there just to make sure, you know, we have control because we don't want to test in a low pressure environment because what would be the purpose? You know, there's, we know that it works well. And, and I should say too, I should mention, you know, the pipeline testing goes back a long time. I don't, I don't even know how long We've been researching this RNAi technology. I know it's more than a decade. And RNAi is a fairly new technology, new in the sense of two or three decades old. But early in the pipeline, Bayer has multiple multiple modes of action that they're testing. They're screening out. So they have different assays where they can you know, screen a product, see if it controls larvae. And if it does, they can move it to the next stage and the next stage and the next stage. It's basically just a huge trait development funnel. So a decade ago, a product like SmartStacks Pro was starting to get whittled and scientists were seeing the potential of this product. Uh, when it gets to me, so five years ago for field testing, we pretty much have a, an integrated PIP product at that point. We've got these corn plants um, and then we're able in the field to, you know, sometimes lab studies don't necessarily equate to real world situations. So that's where people like me, people like my, you know, collaborators like you in Northern Illinois have the chance to go put this technology out in the field and make sure it works, you know, as we continue to march it towards commercial launch. So this is a, you know, as we talked about, this is a really exciting product. And is this the, the apex of uh, corn rootworm control or what about the future? Yeah. So as I mentioned, rootworms are going to survive any apocalypse we throw at it. Um, so I, I'm not going to say this is the silver bullet because there is always a rootworm that adapts to, to what we throw at it. So because of that fact, 
we're always developing a pipeline. Our competitors are always de developing new products, you know, to help control rootworm. So for the past few years, you know, we've been looking at other products in the pipeline. So, you know, rootworm four, which doesn't even have a commercial name yet, um, which is, you know, different modes of action to control rootworm that's already in, in our pipeline. That's our, that's a product that we're already able to test in field settings to continue to develop these new products, because we know eventually these rootworm are going to overcome these products. So that's why we're continuing to come out with these, these new modes of action. So it's an arms race that we're not going to win, but we want to stay as a, as ahead as we can, I guess. Is that kind of what you're getting at? Yeah, stay ahead and then make sure, I mean, these products, uh, these are a huge investment for the company. You know, I don't even know how a hundred million maybe to develop from start to finish a product like this RNAi mode of action. And because of, I mean, because of that, we want it to last as long as possible as well. So it's an arms race, but it's also a trait durability increase, trying to make sure that these products work for as long as they possibly can. Well, Preston, I, I think this is a really interesting conversation and, and we'll link some resources in the show notes where people can learn more about this topic if they're interested. We'd love to have some feedback from you, the listener, on if you like this format. We're, we're still, as we mentioned, going to continue to have great guests on experts in various topics. But if you like these periodic research updates that we've given the last couple episodes, let us know. Let us know, or, or hey, you know, we don't want to hear that again, or, or we like that. So we can, you know, for the future, we can definitely do more of these if it's something that people are interested in. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll leave our Twitter handles in the show notes. So be sure to reach out to us with feedback, positive or constructive criticism. And um, with that, we'll jump back into the professional interviews <laughs> here in a couple of weeks. <laughs> Which one of us isn't professional? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Thank you for listening.